The more that mm-hmm. we interact with people with all kinds of abilities and all kinds of um, degrees of health, the more that we understand that it's part of the fabric of who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. And people can feel, I think, less stigmatized by yeah. whatever illness they might live with or might be recovering through. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is still to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And my name is still Sam Woods. And my name is still Kyle Heggie. And today on the podcast, we have two very important guests covering a very important topic, and that is mental health. But before we start this episode, we have to talk about a very very exciting event what's, coming up. What's going on, Kyle? Well, listeners, I know it's Monday because that's when Bridges City drops, and I know you listen to it immediately when you see it in your mm-hmm. feed. So in exactly eight days from now, that is Tuesday, September 17th. Tuesday, September 17th. We are having our third political open mic with Milwaukee. This one is about making your vote count, and it's going to be at Third Space Brewing. So either you love democracy, I'm going to see you there, you love beer, I'm going to see you there, or you love both, mm-hmm. and I'll see you there. And to help facilitate this discussion, we have some amazing speakers, people you can interact with lined up. That includes Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Executive Director of Block and former Bridges City guest Angela Lang, Director of the Fair Elections Project Sasha Nchetta, Marquette Professor and director of the Democracy Lab, Dr. Amber Wachowski, our friends at Democracy Found, and you. Yep, one of our favorite parts about the political open mics are the opportunity for our guests to hear from you all about how we can ensure that every vote counts and every eligible Milwaukeean votes. Really quickly though, if you're enjoying the podcast and like what we're doing, please rate and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other Milwaukeeans find the podcast and get inspired to action. You can also support us on Patreon, and while we don't make any money from this, uh, your support does go to maintaining our website, purchasing new equipment, and uh, maintaining our radio show. Yeah, so again, just please rate and subscribe to the podcast. Sam wakes up every morning and checks this, and when we don't have a new rating, he's he's terrible to be around. Yeah. He's a mess all day. (laughs) So please make his day. Uh, Give us a good rating. Subscribe. Become a patron. Whatever you can do to support Bridge the City. If you're not going to do that... More importantly, support the people that we highlight on this yeah. show. They're doing a lot more good than we are. Um, and again, our, our mission is to inspire people to action. So take action in that way. Support the people you hear on the show. And RSVP to our political open mic. Once again, that's September 17th. Third Space Brewing. Third Space Brewing. And we'll get to the episode. So today on the podcast, we have two guests from Milwaukee County. Dr. Steve Dykstra, clinical psychologist with the county and director of the Children's Mobile Crisis Team, and also Dr. Sherry Johnson, director of UW-Madison's Population Health Institute and member of the Milwaukee County Mental Health Board. In this episode, we'll focus on mental illness among young people around 18 to 22 years of age, so like college-age students as you all are getting back to school, as well as the importance of offering mental health services in familiar everyday environments. We will let our guests introduce themselves, but first, just a heads up that there are mentions of various mental health conditions within this episode, as well as references to self-harm. That being said, we think this is an incredibly important topic that is certainly worth listening to and taking action on. Uh, We hope you uh, learn a lot from this episode and are inspired to make a difference in our community. My name is Steve Dykstra. I'm a psychologist uh, with Milwaukee County Behavioral Health Division. I'm the director of the Children's Mobile Crisis Team 
and the clinical director of something called CORE, which is mm-hmm. a specialized program helping people in the early stages of serious mental health concerns uh, reaching up into early adulthood. Hi, I'm Sherry Johnson. I'm a psychologist as well, and I'm a member of the Milwaukee County Mental Health Board. Mm -hmm. I'm the University of Wisconsin-Madison appointed member of the board, and I'm the director of the Population Health Institute at UW-Madison. If we trace this upstream, she's kind of my boss. Okay. Well, I was actually, my next question was, um, what is the relationship between the work you're doing, Dr. Dyshirt, and you, Dr. Johnson, um, at the Milwaukee Mental Health Board? So, like, how do the two two interact, I guess? The, The Mental Health Board oversees the Behavioral Health Division and Mental Health Services provided mm-hmm. by Milwaukee County. So I'm one of the people who helps to provide those services and helps to uh, supervise and coordinate some of those services. And Dr. Johnson and the rest of the board helps to make sure that we have a good focus, that we're getting the oversight and the resources that we need, that we're spending the county's resources and treasure uh, as effectively and responsibly as we can. Well said. (laughs) All right. So the county is responsible for delivering mental health services to people in need. Mm -hmm. And the board was established in the last five years to help provide oversight and guidance to make sure that the mission and the vision of the Behavior Health Division is fully implemented and that people in our community get high quality mental health services Mm -hmm. that they need across the lifespan. And then one of the main reasons, like we, while we're all here today, is talk about the uh, Milwaukee County's efforts to reach college-age students. So that's eighteen to twenty-two year olds. Why is the county looking to reach college students or, or people eighteen to twenty-two uh, specifically, as opposed to you know someone who's younger than eighteen or older than twenty-two? Well, eighteen to twenty-two, those college years, whether you're in college or not, mm-hmm. those college years are sometimes the years that we see uh, the onset of what we would consider more serious or severe mental illness, things that are maybe going to haunt somebody or plague somebody, affect their life in the years to come. The other reason is that the onset of illness at that time of life disrupts people during this really important transitional years. As you're going from being adolescent to adult, you're establishing careers, you're establishing Mm -hmm. adult relationships, you're establishing um, more independence. And so the onset of mental illness at that time of life can have more lasting consequences for people than if it occurred later, yeah. or in some cases earlier. It's also true that kids go away to college and mom and dad aren't watching them every day anymore. Their friends who've known them their whole life aren't there. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these things slip between the cracks and aren't noticed as well yeah. because we've lost that support. Right. The people who are around you, people who just met you. So it's not, they, maybe it's, they don't know you're not yourself anymore. They don't know this is, that you being this quiet is unusual. Mm -hmm. They don't know that your sleeping patterns have been disrupted. They don't know that you missing Mm -hmm. a third of your classes isn't you. Right. One of the coolest parts of being on the board is that we can help guide a balance of investments from helping people who are having acute crisis conditions that really need immediate attention and a high level of care. But what the Behavior Health Division is really moving toward is a broader range of services for people in our community so that they get as much service as possible in the community so that people recognize that there are resources throughout the community that can help them get well and stay well if they've experienced mental Mm -hmm. illness. And so this broadening of the set of services that our people that are offered to people um, in addition to traditional 
resources and services that mm-hmm. we have for people living with serious mental illness is really, I think, one of the most exciting pieces of mm-hmm. the movement that the Behavior yeah. Health Division is is embarked on. We have crisis teams that will go to you. For the last, what is it, 19 years of my career now, I haven't seen anybody in my office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I go to where people are, wherever that is. Um, a bedroom, a basement, an alley, we walk down the sidewalk, I see them at the room, I see them in a coffee shop, in a parking lot, whatever works best for them. Because coming to me, you know, when you're in distress, coming out here and waiting in a waiting room and coming to see me at that moment of distress, that's not the best way to do it. And, you know, our mobility, our increasing mobility as we sort of shed this building, our increasing mobility and flexibility is, we hope is going to be a great asset to the community. If you think about it metaphorically, we're, we're moving away from tow trucks and moving towards service stations and gas stations. So, Can you explain the metaphor? Well, taking, taking care of people before it gets so bad that they need the mm-hmm. mental health equivalent of a tow truck to come out and respond gotcha. in a crisis where they're stuck and they can't mm-hmm. do anything. Trying to get to people earlier, doing that preventive stuff. Right. Um, and doing it in places that don't seem so far away or scary or right. different from what they're used to. So places that are embedded in people's neighborhoods, mm-hmm. people, you know, know the people that work there really well. They feel comfortable mm-hmm. that the more we can make this part of the fabric of our community, the more people are going to be able to recognize that mental health and me- mental illness are no different than physical health and physical mm-hmm. illness. And they, everyone that um, has an issue in one of those realms should feel comfortable getting services. Right. And what, why is it important to meet people where they're at? As you were saying, like mm-hmm. the offer resources in, in like familiar, in familiar environments. We say, why, why is that important as opposed to just, you know, we're offering resources, so that should be good enough. I think one of the issues is stigma that often people just aren't familiar with what mental health service delivery looks mm-hmm. like. And they associate it with um, institutionalization, which mm-hmm. historically we had had a large investment in long term <laughs> hospital stays for people with yeah. mental illness. And so getting those services closer to the places where people live and work and play and makes it part of the community like a school a library, mm-hmm. a resource center for people living with mental illness, a transitional living place for people that are coming through addiction. All of that is sort of part of the neighborhood, right? So if you're used to seeing a library and a school and a grocery store and a doctor's office in your neighborhood, um, but you're not used to seeing an outpatient mental health clinic mm-hmm. or you're not used to seeing transitional living for people that are living with serious mental illness. Or if you're not used to seeing, you know, a recreation program for for people living with serious mental illness, then mm-hmm. that just becomes different. It be, They become the others. So the more mm-hmm. that we interact with people with all kinds of abilities and all kinds of um, degrees of health, the more that we understand that it's it's part of the fabric of who we are as human beings mm-hmm. and people can feel i think less stigmatized by yeah. whatever illness they might live with or might be recovering through hmm. so kind of back over to the like targeting college students and what the county's trying to do with college students um what should college students or or young people um know about spotting the early symptoms of serious mental illness and about where or who to go to for help that's spotting both for within themselves and as well as like uh, people they know so you're looking for Changes in yourself, changes in other people. You're looking for signs and symptoms, which may be very kind of nonspecific. 
um, lots of for lots of people, this starts out with feeling uh, more depressed or more angry, more anxious, having some unusual experiences sometimes of uh, believing things that don't seem exactly right, feeling more confused than you have before, maybe seeing disruption in your sleep. The list of things I could name don't each point to one disorder, or mm-hmm. one particular problem. And in the beginning, that's what we're really concerned about is just that you're distressed, that things aren't going the way they used to, that things aren't going well, things yeah. aren't coming together, things we notice in each other and in, in, in ourselves. And the place to go for that, first of all, and this goes back to what Dr. Johnson was co- talking about, is probably something close by. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're at, if you're on the university campus, you know, being able to reach out to some health services, being able to reach out to people uh, in your dorm, and then knowing that you can call us here at Milwaukee County uh, and that they can call us too uh, if if you need something that's maybe a little beyond what they're able to provide. Mm-hmm. Thinking back to my college experience, right? How do I know the difference between I'm stressed or, or depressed or anxious to the point where this is fundamentally different from how I used to be versus like I'm stressed because I have three midterms in a week and that's, you know, stressful because I, I don't want to fail. Right. How do I know the difference between like a very, like acute stressful period versus like a fundamental change in who I am, or does it not matter? Like I should keep an eye on both of those. I mean, you can certainly keep an eye on both of those. And sometimes one grows from the other, you know, it starts Mm -hmm. out as a reasonable Mm -hmm. stress as a reasonable reaction and it starts to grow into something that's becoming less and less reasonable. If you don't sleep much one night because you're cramming for midterms or you're worried about Mm -hmm. that assignment, that's one thing. If it turns into four or five, six nights in a row, if you're seeking medication on the street and you're, you know, medicating yourself because that's the only way you can sleep. If you notice you used to exercise all the time and now you don't exercise at all, you're worried all the time, you're not happy, uh, it's hard to be happy, you're not enjoying yourself, that's a sign things are starting to cross a line. It's starting, mm-hmm. it's starting to get to be more than you should expect yourself to manage on your own. Yeah. Is there um, also thinking back to my my own college experience? I know the like the in, the environment sometimes can um, celebrate that cycle of yeah. cramming and being really stressful. Like a work hard, play hard, but mm. like to an extreme. So I'm cramming, stressing, being successful, and then I'm playing really hard. Whether that means you know drinking drugs, whatever, like yeah. whatever, like playing hard looks like. I know that 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 kind of mindset and lifestyle is oft can be like celebrated and can almost be like normal. Like it's very weird for you to not kind of partake in that. I think you're hitting on something that's part of a broader set of questions is what are we doing to create crim- communities that promote health? And one of the components of a healthy community are social norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are, what can we do and what do we do to influence social norms in any setting, whether it's a college setting or a neighborhood setting or a work environment? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things that can be done to promote a set of norms and expectations that are more likely and more conducive to health. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I think college campus 
culture comes into play. And so back to Dr. Dykstra's comments about resident advisors in dorm rooms or activities coordinators who can both help promote a culture that's more in balance and Mm -hmm. help encourage students to be more in balance and not cycle through the work hard, play hard. Um, And they can also keep an eye on students who might be out of balance and might um, not have those in in good form. Yeah, I think one of the other things to keep an eye on is if you are the people around you. If your if your best explanation for the way you're living, if your best justification for the way you're living is, well, this is what everybody's doing. I'm in mm-hmm. college now. That's not a good sign, mm-hmm. because oftentimes what happens is people who are making those kinds of justifications are very much over exaggerating. They're very much overstating that everybody is doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm staying awake during the day with Adderall. I'm sleeping at night by drinking six beers. Oh, mm-hmm. that's what everybody's doing. Yeah. It's really not what everybody's doing. Right. Right. Well, and even if it is, it doesn't necessarily mean right. it's healthy. <laughs> right. Um, so one of the things I think college students should be looking for are a wider set of ways to work hard and play hard. So play hard doesn't have to mean mm-hmm. drinking six beers. It could mean being on a sand volleyball team. It could mean taking advantage of the Urban Ecology Center's free kayak and canoeing days. It could mean Mm -hmm. volunteering with big brothers and big sisters. It could mean a lot of things um, that I think we need to help people feel comfortable in Mm -hmm. engaging in and making sure that those norms that we set as a community start to sort of veer more toward a set of norms that promote health. Yeah. From what I've seen in in talking to some people at universities, there's there's certainly greater awareness about this mm-hmm. and they're doing what they can and they're trying, but they're learning at the same time yeah. we are. Um, it's hard. You know, they, they have a few thousand new freshmen show up on campus every day, every year. And uh, some of them come with some not altogether healthy ideas about what the next few months of their life mm-hmm. are going to be like. And you know, Competing with that successfully is not always easy. I think one thing college is, are doing too, though, is making sure that they're ready to work with young people that come with histories of trauma. So you talked about the idea of what's normal stress, what's healthy stress compared to what's not normal or healthy stress. And a lot of young people will come to college with a history of trauma, whether it's um, child abuse or a history of being sexually assaulted or a history of having lived with a stigmatized identity like an LGBTQ young person who, um, and and some people will come with multiple kinds of stress. And when we know when people have been exposed to multiple kinds of adversities in childhood, that there's a higher risk for experiencing both physical health problems and mental health problems. Mm -hmm. So, One of the things that young people can do as they come into that 18 to 22 year old range is also um, start to think about and assess what's been my trauma exposure. How am I dealing with any traumatic experiences that I've had? And does any of that suggest that I should seek out some trauma informed or trauma based cognitive behavioral therapy so that I can shore up my strengths and my assets and my mm-hmm. resources, but I can also learn healthy coping strategies for when um, I might experience triggers or things that that uh, could throw me off. Yeah. How much time and effort do you spend combating stigmas around mental illness 
And how do you combat those stigmas? And to how can listeners help destigmatize it themselves and maybe make your work a little bit easier? Dr. Johnson sort of works at a different level of the system, sort of in, right. in, in larger community-based things. I, what my experiences of, of trying to help people combat stigma are often kind of at, even at the level of the family, families that are afraid to acknowledge that somebody in a, a young person in the family may be sharing signs of a serious mental illness because they're still stigmatized and hurt and traumatized by what happened to that child's father or uncle or grandfather or grandmother. And they're afraid it's going to be the same way. Mm-hmm. And so help, you know, at that level, a lot of it is just about education, about recognizing people's fears and letting them, letting them express those things, assuring them that it's different, answering their questions giving them answers to the questions they don't know to ask yet. You know, one of the great things that happens in my work is you learn something from every family you work with and you use that with the next family mm-hmm. that you work with. That You realize that somebody's afraid because grandma had this happen to her and she spent 30 years in an institution and it was really terrible and, oh, no, that's going to happen to my mm-hmm. son now. And so because somebody had the courage to express that to me, I'm now more sensitive to the possibility yeah. of that fear in somebody else. And I can address that without them having to bring it up themselves. Right. And we see people all the time who are initially very untrusting, very uncertain, don't want to do this, don't want to talk to you, really are being urged along by the few people they still trust. And six months, nine months, a year later, they're able to look back and see that this has been very different than what they expected much more helpful than what they expected mm-hmm. uh, in a really important part of their life. And that's, that's tremendously rewarding. And, you know, most of that is done through education and awareness and just doing one-to-one education, answering people's questions, addressing people's concerns. People have this idea, I think, of psychotherapy that it's sort of magic people in hoods sort of saying (laughs) magic words to people in a room it's really not like that we're all doing therapy with each other all the time we have certain people who can get paid for it and maybe can do it at a a different pace and at a finer detail but we're all trying to do therapy with each other all the time yeah i i think there's pretty good evidence that training healthcare professionals in cultural humility, cultural competence, being able to work with individuals and families and communities from a wide range of cultural backgrounds and experiences is um, there's a a good amount of evidence that that's an effective approach. And Mm -hmm. in relation to stigma, I think it it speaks to this um, experience of different communities getting different quality of care when they Mm -hmm. attempt to access care. Um, We have a long history of people of color in particular getting less quality care um, only because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. And that has a cumulative effect. And it's that information is passed down through families and through communities in ways that can create barriers to people wanting to seek help. And so from the uh, system level, I think we can continue to invest in making sure that the healthcare workforce is prepared and ready and has the skills that they need to understand people from a wide range of backgrounds and reduce any barriers to their being willing to seek help that that are rooted in past um, and present patterns of um, 
unfair treatment. Mm-hmm. I want to see someone for whatever reason. I want to mm-hmm. see uh, a therapist. Um, but I'm concerned about either how I'm going to pay for it, how I find one, um, what do I even look for in a therapist mm-hmm. as a resident mm-hmm. in Milwaukee? Um, where are there resources I can go to to uh, figure out what I need to figure out with insurance, um, mm-hmm. covering without insurance, or just like find how to find a therapist that um, will work for me? I- and you are putting your finger on a very complex problem that there is no easy front door for most people to figure out how to access mm-hmm. mental health services, either through the county or for their through their own employer-based insurance or through their public insurance. So there, I would say, are a lot of front doors that people could go through. Mm-hmm. Um, the county certainly has a crisis line that people can call if they are in an acute crisis. The adult number is 414-257-7222. Okay. The number for children is, in adolescence is 414-257-7621. If you only remember one of them, that's fine because if you call one of them, they'll get right. you to the other. Mm-hmm. 211 is, the, is a information line that will right. get you access to an, any number of resources, including information about where to get mental health services. But the 257-7222 number is the Milwaukee County crisis line for adults. And Mm -hmm. so if you are experiencing a mental health crisis, such as you're thinking about uh, doing harm to yourself or someone else, you're confused and um, feeling like you might be hearing things or seeing things that other people don't see or hear, Mm Um, you, you've lost a large, uh, amount of your normal functioning, like you not going to school, you're not going to work, you're not eating, you're not sleeping. You can pick up the phone, call that number. They will begin to ask you a series of questions about how you're doing and what you're experiencing that will help them guide you to the right level of care. Dr. Johnson talks about the front door. One of the things we're working on and talking about all the time is to try to make, get to where there's no wrong door. Mm-hmm. That mm. you could, you can start by accessing the services at any door. And we're not going to say, oh, you're in the wrong line or you're at the wrong yeah. door. We're, we're going to, we're going to get you to where you need to be. We're going to get you there in a way that's respectful. Because a lot of times people may only have the energy or the resolve to reach out that one time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we slap their hand away and say, well, you're at the wrong office, sweetheart, too bad. You got to go down the hall, go down the street. A lot of times they just walk out the door because mm-hmm. this took everything they had. You know, one of the things you find out when you when you work with people, you know, maybe it took me a long time. But what, you know, one of the things you find out is most people most of the time are really doing the best they can. Mm-hmm. And if it took that much for them to get to you, you should you should assume that and recognize that. And be humble and walk them to where they need to be and get them to the right people and introduce them to where they need to be and and, and care for them as best that you possibly can. Yeah. We hope to get help to you. We hope to make it possible for people to reach out and get help before it becomes an emergency. You know, getting back to the subject of, of college age students, one of the things that happens when you're when you're young is you're used to thinking that everything is going to get better. You know, every illness you've ever had was something that you had for a while and then it went away. You had a cold and it went away. You had a flu and it went away. You broke your leg and it healed and now it's fine. And so that that first instinct to think, yeah, I'm, 
I had this thought about hurting myself, but I think it'll get better on its own. I'm not really getting out of bed anymore. Let's wait and see what happens. I hear voices once in a while that aren't really there, and my mind is playing tricks on me. Um, I'm going to try to handle this on my own and see what see what happens. These are these are things that you're much better off reaching out to somebody. And on most college campuses, there would be a student health services, right, right. and so the front door, if you are in college, would one door would be to go to student health services. Um, but that's not always the most comfortable door for everyone. So the county is an available resource mm-hmm. if you're here in Milwaukee County. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we ask the question all the time about um, insurance and payer sources and all that complexity that Dr. Johnson alluded to gets very complicated for everybody, whether you have insurance or not. Um, you don't have to answer that question up front. We'll help you figure that out. People will help you figure that out. Nobody's, we're never going to say to you, oh, you don't have the right insurance. We can't help you. Or, you know, you have insurance. You should be over there. There may be a point in the future where we're getting you to somebody who fits your payer source better because that's better for you in the long run. But nobody's, the front door, just get through a door Mm -hmm. and we'll sort that out later. Because this is Bridges City, we asked our guests about action steps to take to get more involved in the topics we covered today. If you're worried about somebody, and there's a lot of ways and a lot of reasons you can be worried about somebody, yeah. I encourage you to pause for a moment, think about why you're worried about them, and then find the courage, find the resolve, find the moment to go to them directly, compassionately, kindly, calmly, and say, starting out with those words, I'm worried about you. And to say why. I'm worried about you. You you haven't been yourself lately. I'm worried about you. You you spend all your time in your room. I'm worried about you. You don't you don't seem happy very much. I'm worried about you. You know there's there's those times I see you behaving kind of oddly and I don't know what it is. Um and to to approach somebody in that genuine, caring way, not I'm afraid of you, not cut this out, yeah. um, not make it go away, not I'm going to tell you what to do now, but I'm worried about you. I would see Dr. Dykstra for therapy yeah, right. a very soothing, welcoming, calming, <laughs> respectful way of, of opening up a space to talk. That's, and that's what um, you can expect from good psychologists and psychiatrists mm-hmm. and other mental health professionals is someone who um, has spent their life and has trained their ears and their words in a way that offers people the opportunity to slowly walk into a conversation about uh, what might be bothering them. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I is maybe talk about how common mental illness can be, yeah. okay. and especially in that age range of 18 to 22, where Dr. Dykstra explained that there, that's a stage of life where people can begin to start on a pathway of experiencing serious mental illness. So, um, so don't feel like you're the only one out there. The lifetime prevalence of things like depression and anxiety, meaning the likelihood that anyone over the course of their lifetime is going to experience one of those illnesses is pretty high. It can be 20 to 25% for women and um, not much lower than that for men for depression and anxiety. So that's 
one in four or five people that you know are going to experience over the course of their lifetime uh, a bout of mental illness, just like most people you know will experience other kinds of illnesses as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I think for people to know and keep in mind. Other types of illnesses like schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder or bipolar disorder that um, may be less common, um, but certainly you're not the only one <laughs> and people are living full, rich lives, even with serious and yeah. persistent mental illness. Absolutely. Everybody listening to this in the previous week of their life, went past somebody, interacted with somebody, was served by somebody, served somebody in some way who is experiencing some degree of mental illness and they don't have a sign over their head. There's not a blinking light on their forehead that tells you about that because for most of their life and most of the time during the day, they're just like the rest of us. And it's a, it's a reminder that this is just because we don't talk about it, just because it isn't obvious doesn't mean it isn't common and ordinary and everywhere. Uh, And so I hope that that helps people to realize um, even if it's very frightening, even if it's something that's looking very severe, something very overwhelming, if you're going through something like that, it's a very intense, very personal experience that you're experiencing now for the first time. You have a knowledge of that, an understanding of that, an experience of that that's really important. I don't know what you're experiencing, but I know a little bit, and people like me know a little bit, about dozens or hundreds or in some cases thousands of people who've experienced something similar to that. The way this works is you come with a lot of knowledge about yourself and I come with a little bit of knowledge about a whole bunch of people. We put those two things together and we figure things out. In particular, particular, and and this is a, and Dr. Johnson alluded to things like schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder. These are rarer disorders, but the onset of these disorders are often in those college years, 18 and 22. Mm-hmm. They make up what, what they lack in prevalence because they're relatively rare. They make up for sometimes in seriousness and severity. Right. So we give them the attention that they, they deserve. The outcome for people with those conditions is much, much better if, we, if they can get to treatment and get care early, then if they have a, what's called a duration of untreated illness, we don't want them to sort of stagger along, just somehow doing the best they can for six months, a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, which people do. Yeah. Um, nobody should suffer like that, and you're much better off in the long term. And, also, and, and that goes for other things, too. Dr. Johnson mentioned anxiety. The, in a study, I saw the average length of time from a time somebody could be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and could benefit from treatment until they actually get treatment. Average length of time is 13 years. We don't, you know, we don't want that to happen. And a lot of that has to do with fear and stigma. So we all have a role in that. We all have a role in reducing fear and stigma. We all have a role in the language we use and the jokes we tell. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the way we talk about people with mental, mental illness or people who are using words like crazy or nuts or things like that, being careful how we use those terms um, and how we think about those things. 
because it creates fear and it creates stigma. It makes it harder for other people to get the help that they need. From the perspective of a board member, I would also offer that an action step that we would welcome is for people to come to our hearings. We have budget hearings where we want to hear from residents in the community about what types of services and programs and interventions people in the community want to promote health. We have a board meeting every other month that is always open to the public. So if you have an experience or a family member who has experienced mental illness and you want to help educate us about what you think we should be doing more differently or better, these are public meetings. The intention is for us as a board to get as much feedback as we can from mm -hmm. people in the community. So I think that's an action step that a lot of people could take, especially if they're feeling frustrated that services aren't coming to their community in the way they think that they should, or mm -hmm. if they've lost a loved one to suicide and they want to make sure that doesn't happen to anyone else. Um, lots of reasons that drive people into advocacy, but that door is open, and I think the whole board is eager to hear from consumers, potential consumers, people in recovery, survivors. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for listening to and continuing to support Bridges City and for taking action to build the Milwaukee community that we love. Right. Again, one last reminder, if you can't tell, we are very excited about this event. Yep. Tuesday, September 17th. Uh, we have another political open mic. This is at Third Space Brewing at 5.30. Doors will open. 6 p.m. the event will begin. Uh, you can RSVP uh, on Milwaukee's website. And it'll take you to the Eventbrite link. Again, we'll have Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, Executive Director of Block Angela Lang, Director of the Fair Elections Project Sazanchetta, Marquette Professor and Director of the Democracy Lab Dr. Amber Wachowski, and our friends at Democracy Found. That's a stack lineup. We're going to see you there. We're going to have a great time. How did we get all these people? Well, Sam, that's a great question. We got them because they went on iTunes and they saw how many ratings and reviews we had. And they were oh. like, these guys are legit. Is so, that really how it happened? That's exactly how it happened. So, folks, Mandela Barnes is looking at our reviews. And if you can add some more reviews, maybe we get the governor again. Mm -hmm. There's lots of options out there. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast so we can continue bringing in uh, fantastic guests like these to our political open mics. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Sherry Johnson and Dr. Steve Dykstra, our friends of the county for letting us use their space to record. And thank you all for listening. Last bit of news, I got a new email. You can connect with me at sam at bridgecitypodcast.com for tips about cool things going on in the city, um, how you have incorporated one of our action steps into your routine, or just to share some way that you are helping to bridge, bridge the, the city. city. Bridge the city, yeah, gotta bridge the city, the city.